Well, we're going to continue. I think we're going to finalize our series that we've been on called The Forerunner Mandate this morning. I want to invite you to uh, turn with me to Isaiah 62. I just, I feel so stirred up in my heart. I just feel like we're at such a unique time in the earth. I think the next, I think the next two years particularly and then the next 20 are going to be very interesting times in the globe. And, uh, I think the Lord is, he's, he's hit the turn signal. I think things are turning. I feel like we're in our community. I think things are shifting and turning. We're in the middle of a, a turning point. I think we'll look back at these times and we'll say, man, there was something that happened right there. At the end of 2008, 2009, God began to shift things in a dramatic way. So I, uh, I, uh, I want to talk this morning about how how these last messages, how these last uh, two months of calling forth the forerunners, calling us forth as a forerunner community, how that, what's the uh, practical application for us? How does that then uh, work out for us day to day, hour by hour? What do we do to position ourselves daily to, uh, to actually embody the values that we are proclaiming and that we're uh, embracing. And so I want to head that direction this morning. I feel a little bit sorry for our morning crowd, and, and here's why. I, I get the opportunity to preach twice on Sundays, and, and you guys just get to be the guinea pigs like every week. And so uh, if I say something the, the wrong way or in a way I don't like or I want to develop it further, I, I can mess it up on you all, and then I just do it right for the evening group. So I feel sorry for you in a, in a certain sort of way. You're the brave ones, though. You're here first. So bless you for that. But uh, Isaiah 62. It's just, been one of, it's just become one of my theme, really just theme chapters. The whole chapter is just so rich. And Isaiah 62, if you, if you will stare at it for just a little bit of time, you'll realize... He is, he is identifying the generation in which the Lord returns. He is clearly prophesying regarding God's action plan at the end of the age. How is God going to culminate this age? What is he going to do in the earth to see the culmination of this age wrapped up? And he explains in the first five verses, he says, My zealous heart is burning over this truth. I want Zion. And that means he's talking about the Jews. He's talking about Israel. He says, I want them to burn with righteousness. And this is an uh, issue for me that is non-negotiable. That's what the Lord is saying is I am burning. I won't hold my peace. And therefore I don't want you to hold their pe- hold your peace. And so in verse six, he gives us his action plan to see that uh, the Jews, that Israel, that the chosen people, God's chosen people become the fiery, uh, burning, bright lamps that God has called them to be. He wants them to be not just uh, labeled with the term God's people. He wants them to have the actuality, the heart reality of burning with zeal for the Lord. Because I want them to be beautified. That's what he describes in verse 1 through 5. I want them to be beautified with holy righteousness. 
And in verse 6, he says this. He says, I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. You know what? I think I sent them the NIV version. So I think you're going to get NIV on the screens, and I'm going to read you NKJV, but there you have it. We go two versions this morning. I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. And you make mention of the Lord. Do not keep silent and give him no rest till he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. A praise in the earth. Until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. I tell you, Jerusalem will not be a praise in the earth simply because all Israel will be saved. That's not the point of how Jerusalem becomes a praise in the earth. Certainly that would be wonderful. They'll have the glory of the Lord resting on them. But Jerusalem becomes a praise in the earth when the one whose name is the desire of all nations is actually on the planet in Jerusalem ruling the globe from there. And that's Jesus. He is the one called the desire of all nations. And Jerusalem will become a praise in the earth when Jesus returns and rules the globe from Jerusalem. That's a sound and thoroughly established reality in the scriptures. Jesus Christ is returning to the globe, and he's going to rule the planet from Jerusalem. And in that day, Jerusalem will be a praise in the earth. Oh, for that day. Isaiah 2, I love it. It says, the law will go forth from Zion, and he will teach us his ways. Jesus is going to disciple the nations. He's going to do teaching meetings. Now think about that one. Jesus, the one who's the word incarnate, he's going to do teaching meetings from Jerusalem. He's going to disciple the whole globe. He's going to teach the planet his ways. And you and I are going to have a dramatic portion in that because he says we get to partner with him and actually rule the nations with him. In Revelation 2, he says, I give you the promise that the Father gave me. You will sit on my throne and you will rule the nations with me. So we have, a, we, our future is bright. That guy that wrote the song about the, my future so bright, I've got to wear shades. He, ha, he, he didn't have the revelation of it. <laughs> but our future is bright. Okay, I know it's a little corny. It's okay. I saw a couple teenagers back there laughing, snickering, not with me, at me. It's okay. But our future is bright. We have, there is a day coming when Jesus will rule this planet. That day is the day that Isaiah 62, 7 describes as the day that Jerusalem is a praise in the earth. Now God gives us in verse 6 his action plan for that. I have set watchmen on your walls. They will never be silent. They shall never hold their peace day or night. Now, the point I'm trying to make, and it's taken me a minute to get there, is this. Watchmen is plural. We know it's plural because the term is plural, but then he refers to them as they. They shall never hold their peace. And so this uh, group, this company of watchmen, he's, he's actually identifying uh, communities, He's actually identifying communities that will continue in night and day prayer until the Lord's return. That's what he's talking about. God says, I have an action plan. I've set watchmen, plural, groups of believers who will cry out night and day. They will never hold their peace. 
until I make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. That is so powerful. Do you know why that's powerful? Because in a certain level, and it might be level .0001, we're actually living in a fulfillment of that verse. We are a watchman community with night and day prayer that doesn't cease. It's happening not because somebody had a good idea. It's happening by the grace of God. This thing is so hard to do, and yet we've had a channel of favor open to us. And all of a sudden, we're looking at now three years. We're coming up on three years, 24-7. That's stunning to me. But my point is this. There are going to be many watchman communities. Many communities that continue in night and day prayer before this thing is finished. Uh, it would be unthinkable that you would have, say, the house of prayer in Kansas City, and then you'd have, you know, our little house of prayer in Atlanta, and then a few other little places that sort of do 24-hour watches here and there, and that's the fulfillment of Isaiah 62, 6 and 7. That is not the fulfillment of it. There is going to be a massive uh, uh, community, a global, a corporate community that will be in night and day prayer, filling the... Uh, airways with prayer crying out and they will fulfill the revelation twenty two seventeen prophecy the spirit and the bride they say come and that's talking about a time in the earth when the spirit of god will be in unison with the church the church will be in a bridal identity and the main cry on the lips of the intercessors all across the globe will be come lord jesus this is powerful So Isaiah 62, it's giving us this picture that God's plan, his action plan at the end of the age to see the Lord Jesus return. His action plan is this, watchmen communities who do not stop in worship and prayer night and day. Now that is a, that's a verse you can bank on. That's a verse you can, you can set your life on. He makes it real clear. You can lock into that verse and do that for the rest of your life, and it's good. You're fulfilling the scripture. And so with that in mind, I want to flip over to Malachi 3 again. And I just love Isaiah 62. I could just preach Isaiah 62 every week. I, I, I tremble when I preach it because it just, the idea that we're living in the fulfillment of, of it, it's, it's, it touches me in, in a deep way. Now, Malachi 3, we've camped here virtually the entire last two months. I was just reading it through again this week, and I was realizing for years and years, I never read the first seven verses of Malachi 3. I always started at verse 8, because I always uh, put Malachi 3 in the category of being an offering chapter. Because verse 8 starts with, will, will a man rob God? Will, will a man rob God? It says, you have, you've robbed me, and you say, in what way? And he says, in tithes and offerings. So that was like my main idea of Malachi 3, 8, or Malachi 3, because I'd always heard it preached, verse 8. It says, bring all the tithes in the storehouse, and try me now in this, and see if I won't rebuke the devourer for your sake, and open up the windows of heaven. Proud a blessing that you won't even be able to contain it. That part of Malachi 3 was the main, and maybe for many of you, it's been the main thing when you think of Malachi 3, you recognize that verse. But to me, he sets the, the whole table for the chapter in verses 1 through 7. Totally sets the table. And we haven't, we haven't uh, journeyed much past verse 2. But I want to I just point this out. Verse 1. It says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. 
even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So in those two verses, he gives us two different messengers. He uses the term messenger twice, and he's talking about two different messengers. And the first messenger, I believe, is an an individual messenger. I believe where it says in uh, Malachi 4 that he's going to send Elijah before the coming of the day of the Lord. In verse 5, he says, before the day of the Lord, I will send Elijah. I believe that prophecy will be fulfilled as it's written. I don't think we have to spiritualize it. I believe Elijah, he's coming back. Now, there's good theology behind that. The man's never died. He was taken in a whirlwind to heaven. And it's appointed for everybody to die at least once. (laughs) Guy's going to have to die sometime. He might as well come back and die. He's going to come back. He's going to fulfill Malachi 4, 5. And I I believe, and and this is my opinion, I believe he's one of the two witnesses at the end of the age that Revelation 11 talks about. If you look at those... uh, Signs and wonders that the two witnesses perform. They're, they're, there's two front runners, in my opinion. I, now I'm journeying off. And, in my opinion, there's two front runners, and I think it's Moses and Elijah, but I believe Elijah is definitely coming back. Now, so that messenger, when he says, I will send my messenger, I believe that's Elijah. I also believe my messenger, Malachi 3 1, is a messenger, it's a corporate messenger, it's a messenger company. And there's plenty of, I, I could give you plenty of examples. In the Old Testament, where the Lord uses a single term to describe a corporate company. Uh, Isaiah 49, verse 12 is a good example. He uses the term servant and messenger. And he's talking about the whole nation of Israel. Talking about their blindness. Who's as blind is my messenger? Who's as blind is my servant? Is deaf as my messenger? And so, there's uh, scripture that supports the idea that the Lord will use a singular term to describe a corporate people. And I really believe that's what Malachi 3.1 is talking about. He goes, I'll send my messenger. I believe he's talking about uh, Elijah that's coming. And I think he's also talking about a corporate messenger people who will be on the earth at the end of the age. They're the the, the whosoever wills, but they get their mind around God's uh, prophetic timetable and his invitation for there to be a forerunner people on the earth to prepare the way. And so they begin to live their life in a different manner in order to prepare the earth for his coming and to prepare the church and the the people on the earth for the Lord to return, to prepare his way for the coming of the Lord. And I look at the Malachi 3.1 and I look at the Isaiah 62.6 and I see the watchman communities and the corporate messenger and I realize together what he's talking about is this. He's talking about communities all over the globe that are in night and day prayer that are set up to prepare the way of the Lord to the earth. Can you see that? When you take Isaiah 62, 6, the watchman communities, and you look at the Malachi 3, 1, the the messenger communities, and they're both before the, the Lord returns, it's evident then that the forerunner communities that are watchman communities and night and day prayer that are messenger communities, these are forerunner communities that are going to be in the earth, I think, all over the globe before the return of the Lord Jesus. So I started looking at this, and I've been staring at this for years now, really. And I want to I talk to us this morning about what it means to be a, a corporate messenger, a Malachi 3.1 corporate messenger, a messenger community, or a, a, I would say it this way. This is how I want to say it. A community with the forerunner spirit upon it. A community with the forerunner spirit upon it. 
I think it's important that there be communities that exist in the earth with the forerunner spirit upon them. And what I mean by that is this, the entire community, I I mean the vast majority of the community, and and you can think of it as a congregation, a church, whatever, that community of believers, the entire, uh, the the vast majority of the community actually lives uh, under a forerunner spirit. They actually live with a lifestyle preparing their hearts unto preparing the earth for the return of the Lord. That's how, they, that's how they do the math on the time that they're living in the earth. The entire community does. And that's where I think, I, I believe in the grace of God, we have the opportunity to actually be a forerunner community. To actually be a community that prepares the way for the Lord. And I, I'm, I'm struck with this. I want to see thousands of foreigner communities raised up in the earth. I want to see, you know, 500,000. That's an initial number. There'll be millions before this thing's over. But 500,000 pierced with the forerunner spirit and the forerunner mandate. And I'm looking at these thoughts and I realize that the church prepared... The prepared church at the end of the age, they are the, the group that's going to prepare the way. The prepared church at the end of the age, they are the group that's going to prepare the way for the Lord. The prepared church is the forerunner community in the earth. And that forerunner community is a messenger community. And so when you add it all together, that means this. The prepared church, they are prepared. They're preparing the way. But they are a prophetic message. They are a messenger. They, that, those people that live their lives uh, being readied and readying others for the return of the Lord to the planet, they are a prophetic people. They are a messenger people. They are a voice crying in the wilderness. They are calling out to the earth, uh, he's coming, and he's coming quickly. Be ready. Get ready. And so I look at this, and I think, yes, I want to be. I want IHOP to be a messenger people, a corporate messenger, a people with the forerunner spirit upon them, a forerunner community, and the spirit of Malachi 3.1 and Isaiah 62. That's what, I, I, that's what I'm shooting for, beloved. When I'm, when I'm, talking to us, that's what I'm shooting for us to be, a, a forerunner community with the forerunner spirit upon each of us, actually living these things out. And I know I've dealt with that over the last several weeks, like how shall we now live? But I, I, that cannot be understressed. And here's why. I and you, we are way more educated in our minds than we are obedient in our actions. We've heard so much more up here than we actually do here. We've become numb because the society that we live in, it anesthetizes us with every kind of, you know, other interest. We become numb and dull to what it means to live urgent and alive in heart. You know, I want to be alive in heart. I want to be brimming with passion for Jesus in my, in my earth, stay. I mean, I'm here 70, 80 years. I, you know what? I'm here 70, 80 years, and then I get a, I get a job review. 
That's, what, that's what's going to happen to us. We're here 70, 80 years, and we get a job review, and Jesus is going to sit there and review what we've done the last 70, 80 years with our life. I wanted to be on my job review. Man, he was passionate. His heart was alive. He, he resisted the sway and the influence of the world that was dulling down the minds of the masses. And he said, no. And he put his heart before the fiery furnace of the word of God. And through prayer and fasting, his heart was alive. I want that set of me. And I want that set of our community. I, I so desire that we be a forerunner community. And here's why. It's because I, I absolutely care for us, care for you and and us as a people, but I'm realizing this. It's very easy to preach a message that will pierce people's hearts, especially the 20-year-old who's thinking, what do I do with my next 60 years of life? There's, the Lord is releasing arrows right now that's calling people to give themselves into abandonment and, and abandonment to the Lord. And I don't find the problem being calling the people forward. I think you look at the uh, ministries around our nation, around the earth right now, and you see things like the call, and you see Lou Engel, and he'll call, he'll call people to a day of fasting, and 70,000 will show up. And then they'll release a message, and people will get pierced. They'll get pierced with the message and, and the prayer. And, and I think the piercing of the heart of people is not our problem. It's, I think in, in a certain way, it's easy to call forth the tender shoots. You know, Jesus, Isaiah 53 says that Jesus was a tender shoot. And, and that's talking about a, a young person fiery uh, for the Lord. And Jesus grew up, it says, before the Lord. And, and so I, there, I think calling forth the tender shoots is easy. This generation, they want something to die for. We haven't given them much to die for. We've, we've kind of, you know, polished up Christianity and made it, you know, try to make it as slick as we can. But the truth of the matter is they, their Savior has died for them. They want something to die for. Giving them something to die for, isn't the, that's not the difficult thing. Because you can read the scripture and give them something that's worth dying for. The difficult thing is once you pierce the heart of somebody, once the tender shoot begins to grow, they're passionate on fire, where do you plant it? Where do you plant the one that's on fire that the environment doesn't cause the fire to wane? Come on now. Where do you plant the tender shoot so it'll get the right nutrients and it'll get the right you know, environment so that thing will grow up to become a tree of righteousness? Where do you take, what I'm saying is this, where is the community you take the 25-year-old who is pierced with a destiny in God and you put them into a community and that community seeds that fire and, it, and it, it helps them grow in fire rather than doling down their fire and telling them just to be normal like everyone else. Where is that? And I, I don't believe we're there yet. Honestly. I, I, I mean, I want to be there. And, uh, and I'm I pray that we would be that kind of a community, that you could take that hot on fire young person, put him in our midst, and that fire just turns, it turns into a raging inferno. I want to be a forerunner community with the forerunner spirit upon us so you know what? We can raise up forerunners. I want to raise up forerunners, people that will prepare the way of the Lord. And I look at it right now and I go, okay, 40-year-olds, if you're 40 and over, 
And I put myself in that category. I'm just under the bar, but I put myself in that category. So if you're 40 and over, I go, okay. That means that the DNA and the standards, the life standards, that has to be resident in, in the 40-year-olds' lives so that we can encourage the 20-year-olds to go for it. And then it's got to be in the 20-year-olds' lives. And the reason why is because in 20 years... I mean, the next 20 years, beloved, are going to be intense in the globe. And in 20 years, when the earth needs a forerunner company for real that will point the direction, the 40-year-olds will be 60, but our current 20-year-olds, they'll be 40. And guess who will be tasked with leading the way to prepare the way for the Lord? Our 20-year-olds. So I'm looking around right now and I'm saying, okay, 40-year-olds. Let's go for it. Let's go for it. I mean, let's just forget where we've been and what we've done. And let's just go, you know what? Reset. I'm, you know, the joy of my salvation. I'm going to go hard after God. And I'm going to blaze a trail that will challenge a 20-year-old. And then the 20-year-olds need to embrace it full on so that they can get a 20-year history then in the day of crisis in the future, and it is coming, the signs of the times are so clear that they will give leadership to a whole nother generation, preparing the way for the Lord. See, right now, little foreigner communities are just beginning to pop, just beginning. The prayer movement is just beginning to start. But I, I look at, at our house and our community, and I am so grateful and thankful, and I am in a, in a godly way so proud of what God's given us, but I realize we are, we are far from arrived. Come on. We are far from arrived. And uh, we must, we must really live these values out in our lives. Here, here's what I've come to realize. The way that we do uh, charismatic Christianity, it's really, it's, it's this. We get people to say no to the devil and say yes to Jesus. Then we get them to quit cussing, quit going to, you know, R-rated movies. And we, we polish up just enough so they're now respectable. We encourage them to read their Bible and pray a bit. And they learn the lingo, and they learn the hundred verses that everybody knows. And, and we think that's normal. I just want to say this in, in, with a tremble in my heart. That is anemic, impotent Christianity. You, I don't think you signed, I don't, remember when you got saved. I don't think you got saved so you could be powerless at 40. I didn't. I got saved when I was 18 because I wanted something to come on my life that would shift in, entire cultures. I, I wanted to shift the, the, the society where I lived. I remember when the guy said, you know, you can actually speak in other tongues. They're supernatural, and only God will understand it. I said, now that's what I'm talking about. I want some supernatural something, something. Put it on me. I'm serious. I, I, didn't, I didn't want just, you know, read number 128, sing it, blah, 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 sit down. What? No, I, I've got way better things to do with my time than that. Give me something. Give me an encounter with the God that's real. And, and what will happen to us is we'll get trained to just be a good person. Beloved, 
this is not about being a good person. Christianity is not about being a good person. Christianity is about being an emissary, an ambassador for the kingdom of God and releasing the kingdom of God on the earth where we live. I tell you, the, the calling of the earth of the Lord right now to the earth is this. Prepare. The bridegroom is coming. The bridegroom is coming. And so I'm looking at the next 20 years and I'm thinking, we've got to be a people right now who embrace the value system and the DNA uh, the forerunner spirit that would prepare the way. We prepare our hearts and then prepare the way of the Lord right now for the 20-year-olds that are going to be 40 in 20 years and for the zero-year-olds that are going to be 20 in 20 years. Thinking about all these babies that are getting born and I'm going, that is going to be a prophetic singer with power, signs, and wonders, and miracles in 25 years. I mean, let's just watch it. And so that's where we're at. Where we're at. I, so I'm talking about let me just try to summarize it and clarify it. I'm talking about having the forerunner spirit upon our lives individually, which means we give ourselves to the uh, standards of what it means to prepare the way. And I'm going to give us uh, some practical standards in a minute. But we, we live those things out in our lives, and that, that, that's, that we come under the forerunner spirit, preparing the way. And then when each of us in the community has that, we're, we're living under that forerunner spirit preparing the way, then we are a forerunner community. And then as the tender shoots, as they get pierced by the word of the Lord, they can find themselves planted in the community and growing up uh, in the knowledge of God, growing up in passion and desire for God. And there's, there's going to be a whole wave of prophetic messengers at the end of the age. I mean, just thousands of them. Signs, wonders, and miracles. I mean, in, in power, in mass. And I just say this, beloved, where, do, where would they, where's the discipleship program for them? You know what I'm saying? Fasting and prayer, Sermon on the Mount, living, signs, wonders, and miracles, prophets at the end of the age, preparing the earth for the Lord's coming. Who's got the discipleship program for that group? Well, let's go ahead and make whatever adjustments we need to so that our whole community is a discipleship boiling pot. And they get in the community and they can actually grow in the grace of God. Does that make sense? So, we have a DNA. That's, it's based in five main messages. Five main messages. Our DNA is based in intimacy with Jesus. Firstly and foremostly, everything we do is based off of intimacy with Jesus, knowing Jesus intimately, going deep in the knowledge of God, finding out the desire and the delight of the Lord, who he is as a bridegroom that's burning for us and as a father that's yearning for us. Our first and foremost message will always be intimacy with Jesus. John the Baptist, the, uh, the model forerunner, he was completely in love with God. He says, my joy is made full because the bridegroom, and he understood Jesus as the bridegroom. He says, the bridegroom has the bride. And the friend of the bridegroom, he goes, that's who I am. He goes, I rejoice, and my joy is made full. And so the rejoicing, intimate heart of passion and desire, that's first and foremost in our, mes in our message. Secondly, understanding of the end times, eschatology understanding what God's action plan is 
for the last three and a half years of this age. That is an essential because otherwise, without that, you don't have the necessary focus that will call you to live, cause you to live your life with focus and direction and urgency for the hour. Thirdly, is Sermon on the Mount. That gives us the rooting and the grounding in the, I mean, the standards of life skills that are necessary. And meekness and humility and faithfulness and servanthood and giving and all the, the foundational elements of how to do life. Sermon on the Mount is the anchor for us. So it's intimacy, end times, Sermon on the Mount, and then justice. Number four is justice. And our initiatives, like with Bound for Life or with uh, Wellspring for Girls, which is a home for uh, human trafficking victims, or, or like what we're doing in Haiti, reaching the poor of the earth, uh, our initiatives that have a justice mandate on them are totally uh, the forerunner reality. And here's why. John the Baptist was a proclaimer of justice. He was a justice proclaimer. And Jesus, he loves justice. In fact, Isaiah 42 says this, when Jesus comes back, he's going to bring justice to the whole planet. And so we've got to get our mind around what heavenly justice is released on the earth and pray and, and, and do justice works uh, in accordance with heaven's perspective of justice. So it's intimacy, eschatology, Sermon on the Mount, justice, and then the final is fullness. You could just put revival. Because we are committed to this, that there is coming a massive revival to the planet. And there's coming a generation that will see miracles on demand. And it's not just a good idea for good revival meetings. There'll be, I believe, there'll be a billion plus, a billion plus swept into the kingdom at the end of the age. But it's, it's not just for good revival meetings. It's to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. And the revival to come is a mercy stroke before Jesus hits the planet with seals, trumpets, and bowls, with judgments. And both those realities will merge. But we're, we're believing for this, and, and I believe the scripture gives it to us. And in Ephesians 3.20, it talks about being filled with the fullness of God. And there's a place of being filled with the fullness of God in this age that I think very few, if any, have ever tapped into. But I believe there'll be whole companies of believers at the end of the age that will be living in that reality, the filled with the fullness of God. I'm talking miracles on dem- demand, uh, dead raisings, I mean, multiplying bread just like Jesus did. Those are our, fa- our five main facets. Intimacy, end times, Sermon on the Mount, justice, and fullness. That's our main DNA. We don't stray very far from those messages at any, at any given time. That's where we, we land. And I actually believe it's a full plate. I believe it's a full plate uh, to nourish the heart of the believer. You can't leave out Sermon on the Mount. You can't sort of do intimacy and eschatology and then leave out Sermon on the Mount. I have a friend, he says, if you spend all your time in, in uh, Song of Solomon and you, and you don't do Proverbs, you end up in Lamentations. So we don't want to do that. <clears throat> But I believe if you do the five, you end up with a full plate. And so, as I said a minute ago, we're tasked with this. 40-year-olds 
we've got to go hard. We've got to give ourselves to these realities so we can raise up the 20-year-olds. So the 20-year-olds have courage to go for it. You know what 20-year-olds are just looking for? They're just looking for a 40-year-old to tell them, you can go for it, it's okay. Go all out for God, it's okay. They really are just looking for 40-year-olds to tell them, abandon yourself to the Lord, it's okay. And they want permission. And so we, we want to give them, we want to be a community that gives them permission. Permission to go all out for the Lord. And so, I want to give us an easy tool to get us on the path to getting the forerunner spirit upon us, to being a forerunner community, to raise up a, a massive company of forerunners at the end of the age. So I have a handout, and I've got several that are going to help me pass those out. So wherever you are, I'm springing the handout on you because I didn't want you to read it before I got it. Before I got to it. Don't you hate that? If you, if you ever teach and then you hand out your thing and, you know, they're down there reading point four and you're like, no, I, I want to go point one. Stop reading. So that's why I'm popping it on you. I was leading a, a I led a meeting the other day. It was, I was leading a meeting with all leaders and I, I made the mistake of handing my handout out at the beginning and they, I watched them all read right through my handout and then look at me. I'm on point one. <laughs> they all buzz all through it, and then they looked at me like, and, and I'm thinking, they all think I already got it all. <laughs> Leaders. So this is the sacred charge. That's what we're handing out. At the One Thing conference this year, Mike, he called the whole conference Whosoever would, he said, if you'll embrace these li- this lifestyle, I want you to, to uh, come down in this altar call. And he had 5,000, 5,000 people answer the altar call. 5,000 out of 17,000 that are registered. And they answered the altar call saying, I'm going to do these seven commitments. And so what I realize is this. <clears throat> it's easy to pierce the 5,000 but where do you put them when they're done being pierced? Where do they go after the conference buzz is worn off? Where do they grow? And I, the community with the forerunner spirit upon it is so essential to the life of the forerunner being able to grow. And so here they are. Here's the seven uh, commitments to the sacred charge. And this is, here's, I don't think this makes you a, an end time messenger prophet, but I think if you do these seven over time, I think, you know, you, you lock in for five to 10 years, you begin to come under the forerunner spirit. I really believe that. You come under that Malachi 3.1 messenger, corporate messenger spirit. So it's pretty simple. I like it. I like it simple. Give me something that's simple and attainable and I'll do it real good. So one, it's pray daily. Two hours a day. So he goes, two hours a day, brother. I go, all you gotta do, all you gotta do, turn off the sitcom at night and get up earlier in the morning. It's all you gotta do. It's not that hard. And I don't mean do it as a, if you do it as a, as a dutiful thing before the Lord to keep a commitment, that's painful. Do it in the grace of God because you love Jesus. That's easy. 
I remember uh, as a youth pastor, before I really had a, the intimacy message, hearing really hard messages from guys, you know, and just basically you're going to hell if you don't keep a quiet time kind of messages, you know, and you know, they just preach you just, just into shame, and you're just like, okay. And I remember this one, I was at this conference this one time, and this guy preached this, oh, just double-barrel shotgun, blow you up if you don't have a daily quiet time message. So I said, that's it. Daily quiet time, that's it for me forever. And uh, I want it. I want commitment. He's like, you're just not committed if you don't. And I remember getting up, you know, early, as early as I could. And, uh, you know, I would be a youth pastor, so I'd be up 11 and 12 at night just with teenagers just around all the time. And so I'd get up as early as I could and drive in. And I remember going in and sitting in, in this uh, little office room there for, uh, you know, a couple hours at a time early. And, uh, you know, I remember when, and I went for a good long season, maybe six or eight months like that. And I remember when all of a sudden my commitment started waning, you know, the, the buzz of the conference, it wore off after about six months. That was a long buzz. And I remember, and I remember coming under so much shame because now I wasn't keeping my morning quiet time the way I had. And as, you know, I wasn't committed to the Lord. And I think the Holy Spirit just helped me. He goes, now hold on. You're not committed to the Lord. He goes, look at your life. You're not committed to the Lord. And I'm like, well, maybe, maybe I am. He goes, really? Not committed to the Lord, huh? And I go, well, I'm, I'm trying to be. And I think the Lord just said, listen, it's not about a rule. It's about a relationship in your heart. And I remember getting the intimacy message. And the next thing I knew, it wasn't me trying to check a list. All of a sudden, I was praying t- two to five hours a day before I hopped. This is before I'd ever even set, stepped uh, foot in a prayer room. Uh, I was doing two to five hours a day just with the Lord, just enjoying Jesus with the word and with worship CDs, sitting with Jesus. And I remember telling my assistant, I said, okay, no phone calls and no appointments today. I have an appointment. It's open-ended. I'll see you in a while. And I, just, I would just go bury myself and sit with the Lord with my Bible open and just listening to, I remember listening to uh, Dwayne Roberts' Song of Solomon CD just over and over and over and just, oh, just coming alive in God. And all of a sudden I realized this issue where we've kind of been under this, you have to keep a uh, quiet time. What we've done is we've taken a, a great idea, get alive in the word and get alive in prayer. And we've made it this legalistic thing that the heart beats against. And, and you don't want to do it because now it's this constriction rather than something that brings liberty. So I'm trying, I want to give you these seven commitments with the idea that it will bring liberty to you in the knowledge of God. So the first one is two hours in prayer and, and reading the Bible daily. And we want to read the book of Revelation weekly. And this may say, well, brother, don't you think it's a little excessive? Not, be, not if you consider the time and the season in which we live. If you understand the time and the season in which we live, we better read the end time book of Acts. We better get our minds around it. So you read through the book of Revelation weekly and you spend two hours in prayer and Bible reading daily. And then you fast every week. For the longest time I did, <clears throat> here's what I would do. I would eat all year and do a 21-day fast at the beginning of the year. So it's kind of like I was storing up nuts for the winter. And when I, when I met people that were fasting every week, I thought, my goodness, what's the deal with that? And you know what I realized? It's way easier to fast more if you fast more. In other words, if you get in a rhythm of weekly fasting a day or two a week, all of a sudden, if you feel God leading you to like a, a longer fast, you can do it without a problem. 
because you've already conditioned your body and fasting isn't something you do as an event, it's something you do as a lifestyle. So I think everybody, business people, it it doesn't matter, you can fast a day or two a week. And I I think in the grace of God, two days a week. Fasting doesn't earn you anything with the Lord, but what it does is it positions you in weakness and makes you more susceptible to God's grace on your life. Thirdly, somebody goes, man, those first two are kind of tough. No, the third one's way harder. The third one equals this, not shrinking back when people go, what are you doing? You speak boldly. You don't have to be confrontative. You're just convicted. You go, no, I feel like this is the, the wisest way I can do and live my life. So I'm not going to shrink back from it. I'm going to live this way. And I, and I love you and appreciate you, and you're awesome. And, but, but this is the way that I feel like you know, God's directing me in this hour. And so you stand as a faithful witness in allegiance to Jesus' heart for the church and Israel, which that's going to become a big, big issue in the day ahead. There's 1.2 billion, 1.2 billion Muslims in the earth, and there's something like 17 million Jews. Do the math, and you tell me if anti-Semitism is going to get more and more intense as we get closer. I tell you, it absolutely will. So you speak boldly. It means you stand firm on your conviction to live under the foreigner spirit at the end of the age. Do justly. That means we, we engage with works of justice, specifically focusing on the fatherless and the oppressed. And the biblical thrust for justice is always for the, the orphan, the widow, the poor, and the foreigner. That's, that, that's the, the capsule that the Lord continually points to in terms of justice works. So we will engage with justice works continually as a community. And, and, and individually, let's get, let's get our hearts connected to that. Like this abortion issue, for instance. Say you don't have that much of a uh, burden over the issue of abortion. I would encourage you to go to this thing on Thursday night and see if that doesn't prick your heart. So do justly. The next, give extravagantly. It's to the poor and the prayer movement. And that's how we give. And we give over and above our tithe. And even ask the Lord for the grace to even double tithe. I want to do that. I want to double tithe. I want that on my resume when my job review comes. Double tithe. Oh, that's good. Didn't have that much money. Still did it. I want that. I want to look at Jesus and go, I love, I love you. And in the grace of God that you showed me, that's what I, that's what I set my heart to do. So that means that you have to live simply. You have to live simply. And so em- embracing simplicity enables you many times to give more extravagantly. Six, it's live holy. And that means this, that we give ourselves to the value system of the kingdom, as it's laid out in the Sermon on the Mount, for real, and we keep the purity covenant. And in a day ahead, I'll go through and explain the purity covenant, but essentially it's this, that we don't tolerate in any way sexual immorality, not in front of our eyes, our ears, not in our activities. We don't tolerate it. We don't, we don't give ourselves to it in any way. We don't fund it. We don't pay for the, the movie that has it in there. We just don't go for that in any way. Purity covenant. I can't pay with my dollar. I can't pay to go get entertained by things that Jesus died for. That's how we do the math. So we keep that purity covenant to the Lord. And then finally, we give leadership. We, we, live, uh, we live diligently by leading 
in weekly prayer meetings and Bible studies focused on training forerunners. And so the idea is this, that as we're able, we, we participate and give leadership to uh, diligence in this lifestyle. And so not every person has the opportunity, you know, has the opportunity to lead Bible studies or prayer meetings. But if you're in the house of prayer, you have all the opportunities. You can come and help lead prayer meetings by being here and praying on the mic, you know, a day a week. And you're leading prayer meetings in that direction. So here's the thing. I believe this. I think if we have a clear one, two, three, four, five, there's a seven of them, clear commitments, then what ends up happening is what we've proclaimed over the last two months all of a sudden, it's got teeth. And we, we have traction now on how do I do this thing tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And we actually figure out how our daily values then transfer into preparing ourselves for the last three and a half years. Does that make sense? Now, here's the thing, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap it up here. Turn over to one other scripture with me, Revelation 5. I want you to take these, the sacred charge, and I want you to pray over it. Families, I want you to pray over it before the Lord. Ask the Lord about it. Put it up on your refrigerator. I put it in big type so you can put it up on your refrigerator. And uh, let's, you know what we do? Let's make a commitment before the Lord to, to live our lifestyle like this, to do our lives like this. And I'm not demanding anybody to make a commitment today. I'm saying you and your family get before the Lord and say, how do we do this? How, what do we need to do to live this way. And here's why. Because I want us to be a forerunner community. You, you understand, there's a massive difference between proclaiming what we believe and saying we believe it and actually living it out. That's the chasm we've got to jump. That's the chasm we've got to cross. And I don't mind asking you to make some commitments in your life that will change your lifestyle. I think this is a real helpful tool to help get us there. Okay, just hold on a sec for me. So Revelation 5, let's look at this in verse 8. This is an eschatological scene. It's a scene of the end of the age. It's right before Jesus releases the first set of judgments, the sealed judgments. And in verse 8, we, what Jesus has done is he's taken the scroll from the Father's hand. And it says this, Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, and the 24 elders, they fell down before the Lamb each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. That phrase, full of incense, golden bowls full of incense, what it does for us is it identifies for us what the prayer movement in this age is getting ready to accomplish. There's bowls in heaven before the Lord. Those bowls actually hold the prayers of the saints. There's a day coming when those bowls will be full. And when those bowls are full, Jesus will take the scroll from the Father's hand and begin to initiate end time judgments. The prayer movement in this age right now is filling those bowls. But beloved, we've got to get a picture of what it's unto. It's unto the last three and a half years of this age being initiated by the Lamb of God. 
the full bowls of incense, which is the, it's a picture of the prayer movement at maturity, filling the bowls, the full bowls of incense, it ends up initiating the action plan that God has in place for the last three and a half years. That's why he tells us in Second Peter, hasten the day of the Lord. What manner of people ought you to be in hastening the day of the Lord? And through fasting and prayer and giving ourselves to a forerunner lifestyle, we end up filling those bowls unto the last three and a half year judgment events being released on the planet. Here's the deal. Maybe we've got 40 years. Maybe it's a 40-year ramp up. That means this, that the prayer movement is a 40-year preemptive strike that's going to release the end-time judgments, and those judgments are pointed at the kingdom of darkness. They are pointed at the kingdom of darkness. They are geared to kick out the, the gray areas, kick out the props in people's lives, and cause judgment to come on Satan and his kingdom. And causes many to be swept into the kingdom of God. The prayer movement becomes a 40-year preemptive strike to fill the bowls before the throne unto Jesus the Lamb. Opening the, uh, the seals, the seven seals on the scroll. Beloved, this is what we get to do. This is who we get to be. We, I, I feel like the Lord is inviting us for real, into being a forerunner community that actually takes real part in seeing these events transpire in the earth. We actually have an inheritance in them. The thing about it is this. Once the ball gets rolling, it doesn't stop. Once that first seal opens, it doesn't stop. Ezekiel 21, the Lord says, Once I take my sword out of its sheath, I don't put it back again. And so, I'm, I'm looking at us, and here's, I'm wrapping up now. Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying, let's do now, let's get on a 10, 20-year journey, daily, living out standards and commitments, giving ourselves to this DNA, so that tender shoots can be planted in our midst and grow into foreigners at the end of the age. Let's give ourselves to fasting and prayer unto Revelation 5, 8, the bowls being filled Let's take inventory, as we've talked in the, in the weeks past, of our time, the way we're spending our money, the way we're raising our family, and let's log more hours in fasting and prayer than we do in, in entertainment and leisure. Let's do that. Let's go for it with an idea of the, 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 the hour in which we live, a vision of the hour in which we live, being a forerunner people, a forerunner community at the end of the age. That, that's what I'm desiring. Amen. Let's just go ahead and stand. Let's go ahead and stand. Just stand before the Lord right now. I want to be a person with a forerunner spirit upon me, Lord. Part of a forerunner community where the tender shoots can be planted. So they can grow into forerunners at the end of the age. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Spirit of God.
All I want to ask you to do today, all I want to ask you to do is this. I want to ask you to take some time with the Lord in the next week. Put these seven commitments out before you, you and your spouse, before the Lord. And I want you to pray over it and say, is this, is this how we want to live? Is this who we want to be? We've been proclaiming the foreigner message real strong for the last two months. And it, it has to have some kind of practical application, some kind of teeth to our lives so we have traction in this thing. So I'm asking you to take these seven commitments and put them before the Lord with your spouse. And all I'm asking you, I'm not asking you to commit to them today. I'm just asking you to put them before the Lord and say, Jesus, is this how we should live? Is this how we should live? Let's just worship the Lord for a moment.